Hello, my name's Kate Gingell and you're listening to The Remarkablest Podcast. Today I'm with the very remarkable Colette Larson. Colette is a mum of five, a grandmother of 16 and a highly successful entrepreneur and business owner who has inspired, trained and supported many thousands of people. She is loved and revered all over the world and has a huge heart for making a difference. In this podcast, Colette talks openly about the struggles and anguish she faced as a single mum of five children, the two youngest of whom were born with a genetic disease, cystic fibrosis. Colette discusses their journey, the impact that had on the whole family, and how she discovered there was often a silver lining in the most desperate of situations. She says the importance of letting the little stuff go, radical self-care, and surrounding yourself with people who love you. As she has proved herself, Colette also suggests that the best way to predict your future is to create it yourself. So Colette, thank you so much for being here today. Um, it's a real honour for me um, to be interviewing you for the podcast. Uh, you're all, you've come all the way from America for uh, the convention which we've just had over the last uh, couple of days. And um, I had the honour of introducing you there and that really came about from my um, gratefulness, I suppose, to you for, for inspiring me for getting started uh, in the business and your extraordinary story. So thank you so much for, thank you so much for being well, here. Well, I'm the one that's so honored, Kate, when you had, when I ran into you in Salt Lake City last summer and you asked, and you said it was remarkableness. I went, oh, I don't know whether I, I don't know that I'm remarkable, but thank you. And, and the, what you shared the other night meant, it just touched my heart because that is my personal mission if mm. I can help women especially mm. um, if they see me and go wow if she was able to make something of her life or mm. do this or that then I can do it too so when you shared that I want you to know that that meant a great oh, deal to thank me. Thank you Colette and you have gone on to you know inspire well even before obviously before me many many thousands and um, of people and particularly women I think so thank you. Um, it would be lovely if you'd share perhaps a little bit about your background before we get into the, you know, your story. Um, and um, yes, I'd love to sure, hear a little bit. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I was, uh, I'll go way back. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 1952 in a little um, southeastern Idaho, a little farming community in southeastern Idaho. My, my, I was the oldest of 10 children. I have seven younger brothers and two younger sisters. So my mother had 10 children in 14 years. It was like she was having, she was having a baby every year. So honestly, by the time I was, you know, I got married just literally a month after I turned 18. It's sort of like, I felt like I'd kind of helped raise all these siblings and I needed a break. (laughs) So... But, you know, I was raised uh, with an entrepreneurial mindset. My parents owned clothing stores. My grandparents owned clothing stores. My Mm. great-grandparents owned music stores. And so they always worked for themselves. And I grew up working in my dad's uh, shops and starting out in the back room, you know, steaming, pressing the clothes before we put them out on the floor. Mm. Then eventually Mm. I graduated to actually working as a salesperson and then when I got to be in high school, they would take me to market. I, I got to go to the big city, Salt Lake City, the big city. <laughs> and even once got to go to Los Angeles, which blew my mind. Yeah. So, um, and you know, I really thought that I would, I loved fashion. I thought maybe eventually I would get into it. But mm. you know, this boy came in and sort of swept me off my feet. My parents mm. were very, very opposed to me getting married okay. so young. Oh, mm. so, and they weren't crazy about him. Mm. and. I don't know. When I look back, I'm going, what was I thinking? Mm. But you know, it was a very um, 
tumultuous relationship, 21 years, a lot of infidelity, a lot of pain, but I got five incredible children out of the deal. So when I look back on it, I think maybe I'd go do that again. But I did learn the value of work, work. You know, um, I don't know here in Australia if you know that Idaho is famous for its potatoes. So there were potato farms everywhere. And when I was growing up, our school, even in elementary school, they would let school out for at least two weeks, mm-hmm. and we would stay out for as long as it took to get to the potatoes in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all the children yeah. and all the, the teenagers in yeah. our in our little community of Rexburg, we would go work the fields. We would mm-hmm. pick the potatoes out of the fields and fill them with in sacks. And uh, yes. I grew up doing that. It was yeah. hard, yeah. really back-breaking labor mm-hmm. in addition to working in my parents' stores. So we all grew up. Um, and of course, when you're in a family with 12 people, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot to be done. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember looking at some of my friends thinking, Saturday was their day to play. Saturday was our day to work. You know, we had to clean and fix up and get ready for the next week. So, uh, and I appreciate that. Now, as I look back to my mm-hmm. parents, I'm, I'm grateful I was um, brought up with that work, that very, very work strong ethic. Work, ethic, mm-hmm. work ethic and character. You know, we we were. It was pounded into us that mm. our character would be what either made us or broke us. Right. You know, mm. so I always had a very strong sense of integrity, of right and wrong, mm. and um, you know, all of that. Grew up with a very, very strict spiritual background that right. I've that I've actually. Um, moved away from now as far as the orthodoxy you know yes yes. and so I mean did you get on with all your siblings I mean I suppose it was I know you I know one of your biggest values is family yes I loved my uh, and it was a lot of work and of course we had our spats you know of course especially seven brothers are you kidding me oh my gosh (laughs) but you know now even today we have a family reunion every single year it must be huge yeah it's, it's huge well they're yeah. now my in fact my mother just let me know my my father passed away a couple of years ago and i was so so close to my father mm. but my mother is uh just 20 years older than me she had me when she was 20 mm. so she's 80 she just actually turned 86 mm. um and she just had in our immediate family that's her children our spouses our children and now our grandchildren mm. there are 200 of us oh my and so we have she has 200 <laughs> immediate family incredible. and so right. every single year Kate we get together for a family reunion mm. last year we had it up in Lake Tahoe where my right. husband and I have a second hall we we all went up there this mm. year beautiful. we're going to Jackson Hole Wyoming maybe you've heard of Jackson Hole it's a mm. beautiful resort area right in there my brother has a one of my brothers has a resort there and there will be probably, I mean, maybe not 200, but there will probably be 180 of us. Amazing. It's just yeah. a priority for all of us mm-hmm. to keep those. And so as, uh, you know, as cousins, our children, you know, my, my siblings, our children are very, very close. They're mm-hmm. best friends. Mm-hmm. So, yes, family, it's just Absolutely. paramount yep, to me. Paramount. And obviously, I know your story with your, you know, your two beautiful girls, uh, your young, your youngest girls. But just for the for the audience, they 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 have cystic. Well, they were born with cystic fibrosis. Yes. Or diagnosed with cystic mm-hmm. fibrosis. Um, you know, I've mm-hmm. had people say, "Well, when did they catch cystic fibrosis?" Mm-hmm. You don't catch cystic mm-hmm. fibrosis, mm-hmm. but I knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. In reality, now I I only know the statistics for the U- United States, but mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's probably similar worldwide. But one in every 10 Americans, 
approximately is a carrier of the really? CF gene, mm-hmm. the one in 10. No idea. But mm-hmm. you don't have a child with CF unless your mate, your partner, your husband, wife, is also a carrier. And I had no idea I was a carrier. Mm-hmm. And my former husband had no idea he was a carrier. Right. And so we had these three. I kind of did what my mom did. I actually had three children in little over two years. Oh. I just, I mean, my, I mean, my two, my, I had Dax, and then 16 months later, I had another son, Zachary, and then literally 12 months and three days, I had a daughter, Chelsea. So, and they, none of them were born with CF. They were just the healthiest. I mean, it was crazy because I had these three little, it's almost like triplets. And I took a four-year break, and then I had my beautiful Charlie. But because there were four years, I always wanted five children. I didn't want ten like my mother, but I did want five. So, short, you know. Uh, so Charlie um, was born, and I got pregnant with Lexi not too long after that. They are—I'm trying to think—they're 16 months apart, I mm. think. So, um, but Charlie failed to thrive. She just mm. wasn't like my other children. It was hard for her to hold her food down. She coughed so much. Mm. Her skin was very salty. So for those of you that don't know, don't know about cystic fibrosis, I'm actually giving you some clues. If your children cough incessantly, if their skin is very salty, those are two real clues that there's something wrong. Um, and she just, you know, I'm trying to remember. Gosh, she's, you know, almost 39 years old, so it's hard to remember back mm-hmm. to when she was. But I think when she was a year old, she only weighed like 14 pounds or something. She was wow. just tiny, yeah. tiny. Yeah. Uh, she still looked like she was about four or five months old. Mm. Well, when I was seven months pregnant with Lexi, with my with my baby, mm. my youngest, they finally had taken her to numerous doctors, and they they just couldn't figure out what was wrong. They just called it failure to thrive. And I was nursing her, and they said, you know, you've got to get her on. And I, you know, so I started adding in, you know, oatmeal and things. And I, I felt bad because I thought, I'm doing something wrong. You know, what am I doing wrong? But finally, I remember taking her to a specialist, and he did the strangest thing. He put his her little foot, her tiny little foot, and again, I'm seven months pregnant with this final child, my baby, Lexi. But the doctor put Charlie's foot in his mouth. And I just thought, okay, I've found a real quack here. <laughs> He's sucking on my daughter's foot. And he took his, her little toes out of his mouth, and he took a pad, and he wrote down cystic fibrosis. And I said, what? And he said, I, I want to check into something. So I'd seen him write cystic fibrosis, but he said, let me do some checking, and I'll get back to you. Yeah. Well, as a, as a mother, I went right home, and I had this kind of encyclopedia of medicine or whatever like mm-hmm. we have, you know. Mm-hmm. And I looked up cystic fibrosis. Kate, I haven't thought about this memory for so long, but I remember opening that book and starting to read, and the first thing it said is, this is a terminal disease. Oh, and I just, you know, he hadn't told me that. I didn't, I'd never, I don't know if I'd ever even heard the word, the words. And I, I remember just literally f- falling to the floor and sitting down, this big pregnant mama. <laughs> And just sobbing, you know, this yeah. can't be. Well, it took them a few days. They do, they do what's called a sweat chloride test. It's a, not a painful test. They just mm. put, it's almost like a little cotton patch, and mm. then they put some electrodes on their skin that, that causes them to sweat, and then they mm. measure the amount of sweat in that little pad, and they can tell positively whether or not um, they have cystic fibrosis, and she did. So mm. I spent the next two months literally praying 
because then I started to understand the genetics of it and the fact that one in four of your children, if both husband and wife or mother and father are carriers, then one in four of your children has a chance of having cystic fibrosis and 50% of your children have a chance of being carriers of the gene. So that's how it's passed on. It's a recessive gene. And so when Lexi was born just two months later, she was born with what's called a muconium blockage, which is like this black tarry substance that's in the umbilical cord. Mm -hmm. And it's called muconium blockage, and that's a sign of cystic fibrosis. So I knew literally, I knew immediately, they did the tests on her, but Mm -hmm. she was also born with CF. So there's a little background Mm -hmm. about CF and how it comes to be. Thank you very much for that. And um, so those years then, as as your two girls were growing up, I mean, that must have been extraordinarily challenging for you and also not, I suppose, uncertainty about the future. And um, what was it like? And obviously the family life was not great, I gather, at the time. No, no. My former husband, in retrospect, I think I have a little more kindness toward him now than I did then. It was so difficult, as I said, so much infidelity. And so I was dealing with all of this, but when I look back on it now, I think he was probably, it was just overwhelming for him, too much, like that he needed that as an escape. I'm not, you know, I'm not, well, you have to forgive him, but I'm not saying that that was the way to handle it. I could have used a strong uh, partner during all of this, but I just had to end up dealing with all that as well. But yes, it was very difficult. My girls, we're, we're very sick. A lot of the time we spent months every year in the hospital, months mm-hmm. out of every year. When, back then, they didn't have the home, um, home care like they have now, you know. Um, so when they would go in for what we call a tune-up to help mm-hmm. them clear their lungs out. Cystic fibrosis, what it does, it, your body produces this very thick, sticky mucus, and it clogs up the lungs and the digestive system. Their mm-hmm. pancreas doesn't work correctly which is one of the reasons they needed to be on very, very good supplements, which kind of brought me into the company that we've been involved in. But they would go in usually two to three times a year for what's called a tune-up, where they would go on uh, IV medications that were stronger than anything they could be on at home. Mm -hmm. And then they would also have uh, in-room, you know, physical therapy, physio. Uh, Better, I mean, I would spend hours every day, they called it clapping, uh, respiratory therapy, where I would pound their, you can probably hear me do yeah. it. <laughs> and I was, yeah. It comes so naturally to me. I'd lay them on my lap, you know, in a downward position. And just, I remember one doctor telling me that I needed it. And it was so hard because it was painful for them. And they didn't understand, you know, they were baby girls. And I would have to put them on my lap on a pillow and just pound the, the backs and of their backs. And he said, it doesn't matter if they're crying. You have to think of a bottle of thick, thick, do you call it ketchup here or catsup or ketchup? ketchup. Okay, Mm -hmm. ketchup. And he said, pretend like you're pounding that bottle. You've got to loosen that up and help them cough that up. Mm -hmm. So that was part of our daily routine. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to do two hours a day on each girl. Mm -hmm. It was four hours a day. And then I had these three other children. Did they understand the three um, others? The three others, they were so, Mm -hmm. you know, there are some... You know, there are some silver linings to have, having something like this in your family. And one of those is that my children love each other so much. From the time they were pretty young, my children understood that we didn't know how long we'd have Charlie and Lexi. 
that actually came about because my former husband and I had gone out one evening. We'd gone out to dinner and, and um, left the babysitter there, and they watched a special. And I can't, it was, it was a Hallmark movie. Mm. I'm sorry now, I should have remembered. Um, Frank DeFord was the writer, and he was, he's a very famous, he's recently passed away, but a famous sportscaster in the U.S., Alex, Alex, the life of a child was the name of the movie. Right. And this was about his daughter with CF, and she passed oh. away, and it was a Hallmark movie. Gosh. We came home, and our kids were all crying, oh, and they didn't know that mm. CF was terminal. Mm. So they were pretty young, mm. and so we had to have this little family council and say, we're mm. going to defy the odds. But, but that's how they found out. And to this day, I, I don't know. I mean, I grew up like wrestling with my brothers and, mm. you know, not mm. like, and my older three children have been guardians, protectors. They just loved their little sisters mm. so much. And there, there has been a great deal of love and patience and empathy and understanding with mm. my children. So I, th I think there is a silver lining that way. Because when you realize, and shouldn't we all be that way? Because who knows? Mm. We, exactly. could, we could lose who we love yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. But with cystic mm. fibrosis, that's a reality. Mm. So it's like mm. every day is a gift, mm. is precious, mm. and there's just not time to have squabbles, you yeah. know. And I'm sure. I mean, so much of that must have come through you, though. I, you know, I you hope know, you so. You have one of the biggest yeah. hearts. It's I hope so. The day I've ever, you know, <laughs> ever known. Mm. Yeah. And so that so obviously then they had to um, watch poor Lexi obviously um, mm -hmm. begin to deteriorate. Right. And uh, how did you? Um, how did actually? How did you cope with that? I mean, what were your strategies for coping at the time with all of that? Did, or did you just, as an automatic pilot, and just get through know, it as a mother because you just had to get through you, it? You right? had to. I think mm. if I hadn't had these, because Lexi really started deteriorating. Her lungs started deteriorating when she was about twelve. Uh, we knew that she was going downhill so quickly. She had to go on oxygen. She had to pull a little oxygen tank. Again, that was before, no, I shouldn't say little because they were pretty bulky. That was the old green oxygen tanks with the, you know, and she actually had to take that to school with her and everything. So, um, but Lexi was just this spunky. Now, Charlie is just angelic. Charlie always has been. Lexi was a bit of, I always said, you know, you know, she's an angel, but her, her halo is a bit tipped. You know, it's like, because <laughs> she was very spunky. Mm. For instance, when they would go into the hospital, they always had to have IVs. You know, they've had hundreds of IVs mm. in their arms. And because you do that, your veins collapse. So it's very hard to find a vein. Mm. And Lexi would sit there with those nurses and those specialists. And she would sit there and drum her fingers on the table. All that, you know, and they would, she would just like, oh. Like, she just made them feel mm. awful. And Charlie would go, I know you're trying. I'm so sorry it didn't take. I know. But Lexi was like, oh, <laughs> just, just two different personalities, you know. Yeah. Yes. I remember Lexi one morning. Uh, man, you're bringing back some tender memories. But, oh, sorry. That's oh, that's fine. She, she was amazing. So shortly after she had to start on oxygen, um, they would catch the bus, and I would watch Charlie and Lexi walk out together, their little backpacks on, and Charlie would help Lexi pull her, put her oxygen on the bus and everything. And one day, they came home, and Charlie was crying, and I said, what happened? And she said, oh, these boys on the bus are so mean to Lexi, they call her tube face. And I just was like, you know, she's like 11 years old, 12 years old, something like that. And I just, I even wondered about homeschooling or something. The next morning... 
Lexi came pulling out her bedroom, pulling her oxygen tank. She had put a gap. I don't know if you have the gap here in, in Australia, mm-hmm. you know, the clothing. She had this yeah. cute gap switch. It's a gap across mm-hmm. the front. She'd put that over the tank. She'd tied the arms in front of it. And she'd put one of her baseball caps over the little, the you know, that regulator yes. thing on top. Yes. Yes. And I said, what are you doing, Lexi? <laughs> she was pulling it, you know. And she said, well, I think this way it'll seem like I'm just taking a friend to school with me. Oh, so, I mean, that was her yeah. attitude, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then there were times when we'd be driving along and she'd be in the front seat with me, of course, with her cannula mm-hmm. on, her mm-hmm. tubes. Um, and she could tell the person in the car next to her was looking over. And here's this little blonde darling girl. Mm-hmm. And she would, like, turn really fast and kind of pull a face at them, like oh. try to scare them and things. <laughs> she was just, yes. she was funny yeah. that way, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. She really handled it well. So she she made she allowed me. I mean, she just strengthened me. She strengthened all of us with her own attitude. And you know, she um, you know going up to her transplant, she was very very hopeful. She you know she had a double lung transplant in um, August of 1993. And as you know, Kate, her body the transplant went beautifully. But then her body rejected the lungs very quickly, even before she was out of the hospital. And she was put in a medically induced coma. And she was in that coma for about three months. Mm -hmm. They put her in a medically induced coma to reduce her body's need for oxygen, keep it completely still. And so she had the breathing tubes. And at one point, I actually remember, I mean, she had tubes and wires monitoring everything in her body, her heart even. There was, I remember one time counting the little tiny little tubes that hook into other tubes and mm. there was almost 50 of them going into her body Every, mm. she, you know she was she was being kept alive basically on yeah. life support but um, she did pull through they eventually were able to wean her off the um, oh now I'm, you know as I said I kind of your, mm, your brain yes. kind of the, the the machine that was keeping her the breathing machine the lung sure. So they weaned her off, but by the time they weaned her off and got her to the point where she could breathe on her own, something very just heartbreaking happened because, you know, her dream was she'd gotten to the point where she was so weak that she couldn't even, you know, she was in a wheelchair and everything, you know, because, and so she just thought, once I get these new lungs, you know, I'm going to take tumbling. I'm going to do, you know, I want to roller skate. I want, in fact, we even bought her some roller skates and things. But she was left paralyzed from the waist down. These paralytic drugs that put her on. She'd been on them so long yeah, that she'd lost, she lost the use of her. Now, she eventually mm-hmm. did learn to walk with a walker. And then she had these braces that would help her lift her feet. Um, she never completely regained the, willing, the, the ability to walk. But, but a little bit. Mm-hmm. But she, you know, she lived 18 months after her transplant. And... Uh, the last couple months she was really starting to struggle to breathe again and so they're constantly doing this, these tests and there's there's acute rejection which they can treat and mm. then there's no I might get this I might have this wrong sorry for all you medical professionals <laughs> there's chronic and acute yeah. so which would be which I don't know one of them you're it's I done think chronic is the, it's is the, the end, end life end, end stage and so we went in, they, they, she did all these tests, they called us back in. I'll never forget this day. It was, it was just amazing because I was in there with her and they came in and told us that it was chronic and that they were sorry. 
and the, there was a couple nurses and a doctor there and Lexi and I and Lexi was sitting on the table with the paper on it you know and she she looked at me and then she took like like she pretended like she was stabbing herself and she hit herself in the chest and fell back on the table and she goes get me out of here these guys are killing me you know and laughed and of course they wanted to just put her in the hospital mm -hmm. and make it easier for her and she yeah. said mom please yeah. take me home yeah. and so on the way home Kate I just said Lexi I'm your mom but right now I'm your fairy godmother yeah. I will grant any wish you have what do you want to do well she wanted to drive she was only 14 years old she wanted to be able to drive yeah. and um, the chief of police lived across the street from us <laughs> so I took her home and she said and I want to have the reunion now can I have the reunion because we don't we didn't usually have our big Larson family reunion until the summertime when everyone was out of school mm. and and you know this was probably February mm. Uh, yes, because she passed away March 5th, uh, 1995. So I let her drive. I put, we had this little car, and I get, got next to her, and I talked to the, the police the chief, cry, yeah. and I said, please just don't, you know, I, we're just going to go up. And he goes, you're fine. Mm -hmm. And she drove around the block a few times, and yay, she loved it. You know, she had her oxygen. And I didn't let her go out on any busy streets, but you know, she did drive. And then I called my family, my wonderful family, all my brothers and sisters and my mom and dad. Mm. And I said, could we have our family reunion now because Lexi's leaving us. And they all came from all over. I mean, we're in Got Southern California. California. And we just had this a little home. They brought their sleeping bags. So for three or four days, mm. I mean, literally, they were probably, there was probably I don't know, 60 people. I mean, we just, we slept everywhere. Mm. Lexi was on the couch, and she had this uh, collection of teddy bears. And she was able to give a teddy bear to each one of her cousins. Mm. And, you know, she's been gone. That was 95, mm. so that's over 20 years now. I mean, it's been a long time. They mm. still have those teddy bears. They all oh, still yeah, have those teddy so bears. So precious. Yeah. So we were able to have this very, very precious time mm. together. Mm. And then, as I mentioned, when I was talking the other day, her funeral, she asked me to speak. And uh, the night before she passed away, she, she, well, she had asked me that day if I would speak at her funeral and tell her story, and I told her I would. And she had always said, I'm not giving up, I'm not giving up. And that, the night before she passed away, she said, Mom, I'm not giving up, but I have to let go. And I just, I slept with her that night and held her all night, and then she... I helped her. She took her last breath. So it was. Um, it changed. It changed my life. Of course, it really did. Yeah. It yeah. changed her whole family. But she was. She was our miracle. Yeah. She really was. Gosh, I've done. Oh, no, <laughs> thank you. Way more than I usually that. share. No, as a mother, I can't possibly begin to imagine. Nobody can. I think unless mm -hmm. you've been through something mm -hmm. like that. But it's not something you ever. That, you know, doesn't change. Well, all. you know, interestingly, Charlie and Lexi were so close. Mm. Charlie was there when she passed away, too. Mm. And then Charlie just, I mean, Charlie's always been very independent, mm. very, taking care of her own health, always takes her own meds and does, I mean, she's so health conscious. Mm. And she just, I, I know, she, well, she has told me then that when Lexi died. Mm. And see, Lexi was just 14 and Charlie was not quite 16. Um, in fact, Charlie turned 16 just like a week after Charlie's birthday is March 19th. Right. So she was, and 
she has told me since that she decided she just wanted to go and be did wherever, wherever she, Lexi, I was going yeah. to ask what, she what effect up. it had on she gave Charlie, up. So and she didn't started, have the opposite that, that nope, was what nope, she wanted. No, she wanted to go and be with Lexi. Mm. But that only lasted a few weeks and she's right. told me since that one night she was in her room and she said, Mom, I, it's not like I had a vision or anything, but I was I was crying. I was missing my sister. They were so, so close. Mm. They wouldn't go into the hospital without each other, for instance, even if the other one wasn't sick. They insisted on going in together and all of that. And, you know, just a little over a year apart. I used to go into their bedroom. They had bunk beds, and they'd both mm. be asleep. But, you know, Charlie would be on the top bunk, and her hand would be hanging down, and they would oh, be holding they hands, and they were asleep. <laughs> you know, they, just, yeah, they were that close. So, yeah. so Charlie told me that she had this, um, I don't know, this epiphany, I guess I'd call it, mm where Lexi was so angry at her. Like, Charlie, I fought. I fought mm. for every breath. Mm. Now you get up. I'm kicking you in the rear end, sister, and you take care of yourself. And something shifted mm. with Charlie, and mm. she just, because I could see she just, you know, she wouldn't go to school. And all of a sudden, she was up, dressed, mm. she was going to go to school, and, mm. and she started taking care of herself yeah. again. Mm. But at that point, they had told me that Charlie had less than a year to live. Her, her lung function had dropped down into the 30 percentile. And so, you know, they wanted her to go on the list, and she said, no, nope, I'm going to fight. Let me see if I can't, you know. Mm. And anyway, you kind of know part of that story. Mm. She took mm. a very proactive approach to yes. her health. Yes. And even though cystic fibrosis is a degenerative disease, still considered terminal, uh, Charlie just, uh, she turned things around. We got on what we feel are the best nutritional supplements. Mm -hmm. But not only that, she was very vigilant with her breathing treatments, with her chest physiotherapy, mm -hmm. uh, eating whole healthy foods, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, she just did the whole regimen. And mm -hmm. she... You know, she was able to do that for, I mean, she was 16 at the time. She didn't have her double lung heart transplant until February 16th, 2012. Right. So, she yeah. Really yeah. So, I mean, so that was, yeah. completely defied yeah. the odds, yeah. I mean, many times oh. over. Yeah. Oh, they kept yeah. going. I, I mean, every year they're going, mm. wow. Mm. Like her lung function actually improved, which is very, very unusual. Yeah. But she, you know, she was able to bring it up and keep it stable. And mm. as you know, she traveled to Australia mm. with me in mm. 1998 yes. and loved it. And, you know, mm. she, and she went to Hong Kong with me. I mean, you know, she just talked about living her life to the fullest. Mm. But eventually, eventually CF yeah. caught up to her and she yeah. had to have her transplant. And I, I remember hearing a story, and you may, I, I may have got it slightly wrong, but where um, I, it must perhaps it was in the blog that you wrote or something about learning to say yes yeah. um, because she was very keen to have a child of her own. Oh, and yes. um, is that? And I know that that can be very damaging to a body with oh. uh, with CF. And, oh, um, her well, um, this wonderful young man. That actually, it's so funny their story because they were. They were in high school together, but they were in completely different groups. They didn't. They knew who each other. They knew, you know, but they didn't. They didn't run around together mm -hmm. or anything. But when we were in Hong Kong, Charlie sent an email. Email was pretty new back then. I'm trying to think what year that was. I can't honestly. I can't remember. But she sent an email to all of her classmates that collected each other's email address before they graduated. And Ryan Kaltenbaugh was on that list. Mm -hmm. And uh, she actually had an Australian boyfriend that, oh, really? that came to Hong Kong with us that we all loved, but, and we still love. In fact, they're still very good friends. But um, I thought she was going to end up being 
He's got to move to the U.S. Yes. I, can't, I can't have Charlie that far away from me. But okay. anyway, she'd sent this email out to all her friends saying that we'd been in Hong Kong and she was coming home. And, and she talked a little bit in her email about hope and just yeah. how, um, you know, it was just this beautiful, just the way she is. You, you, that's yeah. just the way she, she is. Amazing. Well, yeah. she got home and this young man, Ryan, who she'd gone to school with, she said, Mom, do you remember Ryan Colton by? I said, I don't think I do. And he said, mm-hmm. she said, well, he wants to take me to lunch. And so he came over, um, we'd just gotten home. This was in, Janu- this was in January of 2000, mm. I, I remember, because it was Y2K, yeah. it was like, okay. So she, he came over and took her to lunch, and I like to tease Ryan and say, he never went home. <laughs> he, just, <laughs> he took her to lunch, and then he took her to dinner, and then I, he was going to school in Colorado, Colorado mm. State, I think it is, in Boulder, Colorado. And I said, Ryan, it's such a shame that you've got to go back to school because Charlie's older sister is getting married, like, you know, the 8th of January, mm. and he said, I actually don't have to go back to school till oh, the 12th. Really? I said, it would be wonderful for Charlie to have a date. I thought he was gone. And, he, mm. and so anyway, they, um, they, had, they had a fairly long courtship, mm. several years, uh, with some things happening, her health going up and down during that time. At one time, she, he, she was in the hospital, and he actually wanted to marry her in the hospital because we, we, she, sure we, she wasn't sure. And, but no, she mm. pulled out of it. And anyway, they... Um, they were married, oh, I'm trying to think, I can't remember what year it was, 2004, I think it was. Um, so, yes, because Harrison, and anyway, they, during their wedding ceremony, I remember the, the officiator saying to, the, saying to Charlie and Ryan, just say yes, say yes to life, say yes to opportunities, mm-hmm. say yes to things you think you wouldn't even say yes to. Mm-hmm. Well, Charlie said yes to having a baby, even mm-hmm. though she was told by every doctor, no, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. no, it will be your life. Mm-hmm. And so they ended up, she ended up pregnant, and we all thought it was an accident. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, and mm-hmm. I was at Santa Viva with her. I, mm-hmm. I, I, anyway, Santa Viva is this fabulous place mm-hmm. in, in Mexico. It's kind of a health retreat. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was down there with her when she told me, and I was just, uh, I, I was devastated because I knew that she was putting her life in danger. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh my gosh, how did it happen? And she said, Mom, we decided to make it happen. I'm going to have a baby. And literally, when she told her doctors, they all, all except one woman, one one woman there in San Diego, encouraged her to have an abortion. They said, you know, really? you you need, you you've got it to end this. You, mm. you, it will take your life. And she said, no, I'm I'm going to have this baby. And she found this uh, woman gynecologist, this specialist, and she said, I need a partner in this. Mm-hmm. And so obviously, you know, we were once she made that decision, I said. I'm with you 100%, whatever I can do. And she was a trooper. And Harrison was born a little bit premature, but he is now, he'll be 11 February 12th. He is almost as tall as she is. He's the healthiest, most active, most, he's so smart, he's so cute. They're the most beautiful family and Perfect. It yeah. just was yeah. truthfully, he was a miracle, mm. absolutely a miracle. And yes, you think you think if she hadn't, oh, you know, yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine my life without Harrison, no, no. let alone hers. She is just. She always goes. I love him so much. It hurts. You know. She just. Yes. She's a, a little bit too. I'm going. You know, Charlie. He's going to be a teenager pretty soon, and all this yeah. mugging and hugging and kissing. I mean, that's going to. And she goes. I can't. I love him so much. It hurts. So she's a beautiful, beautiful mm. mother. 
was he was he aware of what was going when she when Charlie went on to have her double lung and heart trauma? Well, he was only. We had to move. We were all living in San Diego, and, mm. and of course, I, I had married the man of my dreams at that. Yes. I want to tell you yeah. Charlie's story more than oh. mine, but in 2005, mm. I always say I had just, I had decided I was going to be single the rest of my life, and um, my marriage had ended very, very poorly in that uh, my husband got his young secretary pregnant. <laughs> you know, when your husband gets his secretary pregnant, <laughs> I don't think I've ever shared that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, because yeah. I'd taken him back many, many times. And yeah. when your husband's secretary ends up pregnant, mm-hmm. your marriage is over. So my marriage was over, and I, you know, it was actually it was heartbreaking for me, but because I tried so hard. But it was the it, honestly, it was the best thing that ever happened. Mm-hmm. Well, I had actually just ordered this book from Amazon. It, it was called Prince Charming Isn't Coming. <laughs> <laughs> This yellow book. I thought, okay, I'm just gonna realize, you know, this is gonna be my life. And right after that, this Prince Charming showed up on a horse. I always say on a horse because he's really this cowboy guy. He's he's a real outdoors. He loves horses, skydiving. It was just this wonderful. I'm missing him so much. I've been gone a week, but uh, he's a wonderful person. But anyway, I married him in 2005, and then um, Charlie, when she was put on the double lung transplant list in. 2011 mm. they told her at Stanford Hospital that's where she just that's that's where they're doing the most cutting edge and mm-hmm. we we knew and originally they turned her down because her as they did the testing they realized her lungs had deteriorated to the point they had wrapped around her heart and they knew they could not in fact her heart her right lung had collapsed and her heart had literally moved over under her right arm is that yes. I mean it just everything yeah. had shifted and it was all entwined. So that's why they couldn't take yeah. the lungs without the heart. Yeah, they said we're going to have to take the heart too. And so, mm. so originally they turned her down. They mm. said, you know, like as you know, mm. they want to have their statistics yes, are very important to the funding mm. of the school. Mm. So mm. they only want people that aren't. Mm. I mean, still risky, but they don't want the really, really mm. high risk. You know. Mm. And I also, you know, I've come to understand that because there's only so many donors, mm. and they should mm. go to someone who can stay alive. Yeah. You know. Mm. So that was, so anyway, one of the requirements was she had to have, especially since they were taking their son up there, she had to have two full-time caretakers because someone had to help with Harrison mm-hmm. and someone had, I mean, she was to the point where she could hardly walk and she mm-hmm. was on oxygen and just so weak and they said, you know, we're hoping it'll only be a couple weeks, but we need you to move up here mm-hmm. and uh, two months at the most. Mm-hmm. Once they did, once they called back and said, and I'm telling you, when they called back and said, we've decided to take her, because she pleaded her own case. Mm-hmm. She said, you don't understand. I've The odds, I defy the odds every time. And they, she ended up talking to this team that just said, okay, I mean, we're it was, gonna it. we're going to mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. And, oh my gosh, because we had been so, when they said no, mm-hmm. that yeah. day, you know, our family had gathered at our home to get the call from Stanford. And then she came out and said, They've, they're not taking me. And I mean, talk about a sob fest. We well, just were all holding her. I just, it was like mm-hmm. saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then a week later, mm-hmm. <laughs> she called them. And then a week later, they called and said, okay. okay. But I had to move up with her. Mm-hmm. So we moved up. We rented mm-hmm. a little home right there in Los Altos near Stanford Hospital, thinking I'd be there, oh, two weeks to mm-hmm. maybe a couple months. Seven months I lived up there, and my husband would come up. I mean, it was, you know, it's a 10-hour drive or whatever. Or he would fly up, like, every weekend and spend time with me, or every other weekend, you know. 
but he was such a trooper during all of that. But during this time, Harrison um, was in. We got him in a little pre-kindergarten class, mm -hmm. and I would walk him over there and take him to school. And he would—he knew his mom was really sick, but his his whole thing was, "We're gonna we're gonna pray for a miracle, mm -hmm. Harrison. Mom is mm -hmm. gonna have a miracle," mm -hmm. you know. So he was very. I don't think he was old enough to really understand, mm -hmm. but I do remember. The night she got the call, it was it was it was on February fifteenth, and my husband had come up, and I couldn't be more than two hours away. But it was Valentine's, so he so he took me to this little place called Half Moon Bay. So Rick and I were away for this little romantic getaway because you know I was being a full time mom and grandma, it, yes. and we were there, and we just had this lovely dinner, mm. for, and uh, just got back to her room, and Rick was lighting a fire. We had this darling mm. little uh, bed and breakfast thing, and the phone rang and I looked down, it was Charlie. I picked it up and she said, I got the call. Yeah. And I just went, oh! And Rick, Rick immediately saw my face yeah. and just started throwing things in the suitcase. And he drove, fortunately, I was just shaking. Yeah. In fact, we ran down the stairs and I said, Billis, my daughter's getting her heart transplant, lung transplant. We ran out the door and ran to the hospital. I mean, ran, to, ran back to our home because mm -hmm. they were getting ready to go to the hospital. And, I was in this state of frenzied panic, just, and I walked in, and there was Char, so serene, so calm, with Ryan's arm around her, and Harrison was already in bed, and it was time to go to the hospital, and uh, Rick, my husband, was going to stay the night with Harrison, and I was going to go with Charlie and Ryan, and she said, <laughs> give me a minute. And I watched her walk down the hall and go into Harrison's room. And it was just like more than my heart. Yeah. Sorry. No, please don't. <laughs> more than my heart could handle because I know that she knew that might be the last time. She'd see her beautiful little blonde, blue-eyed son, you know. And she came out and she goes, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> and oh my goodness, it was such a... Uh, such a time. Yes, and I was following, um, because they did a beautiful blog, uh, oh. Charlie's Angels, was it? Was yes. And I, so Ryan. I was very, um, uh, yes, aware, and the ups and downs oh, over the next few weeks. I, I it was again, just, imagine what it must have honestly, been like, Kate, I can but, hardly uh, remember. Ryan uh, was keeping mm, a blog, and these mm, all of her friends had mm, gathered together, and mm, we, that, that social media was kind of just, you know, this was, it, you know, 2012, just kind of really coming yeah. into its own, Facebook yeah. and everything. And we had thousands of messages from people who had no idea. Dozens and dozens of countries, yeah. different languages, mm -hmm. all over the world. Mm -hmm. It got forwarded and people yeah. were praying. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Uh, we were lifted up by mm -hmm. this, this energy that had yeah. been created around the world. It was sure, just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. And just going back to you now. I mean, the <laughs> you are. What we haven't talked about at all is that you are an extraordinary entrepreneur. All through this, you were building an amazing business. But times for you, and what did you do for yourself? The sort of strategies just to keep yourself going, you know, because you were there for everybody else, um, and not just your family, but your your team. Um, you know, the corporate office, all all of these things. How? 
you know, you well, huge shoulders, huge heart. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. You know, honestly, I did. I took some time off during that time up was mm. up in Los Altos. Mm. My team at that point had, in USANA had gotten. Um, they were they were strong. They were you know, and in fact, I found that throughout my entire career with this mm. company mm. is that when I have been um, at times when I've when I've needed to take some like for instance when Lexi passed away I took a few months off there mm. and my team actually I in fact I wondered if I should come back to work because my income had gone up <laughs> I think it was like this we've got it we've got to do this yeah. come on even though she's not there leading us and, and doing I'm the sure meetings well. oh I mean, my goodness possibly I think very often we do things for others more willingly than we do for ourselves I think so too so and I've certainly things. been the recipient of that mm. and I did I was this mother hen to my groups and mm. things but mm. When I've needed them, wow, have they ever stepped up. Mm -hmm. And, of course, by then I had taken my two older sons in as my partners in my business, in our company, and and they just said, Mom, you've got one job, and that's to take care mm -hmm. of Charlie. And, of course, that means taking care of yourself. So, you know, I... I love the, the phrase radical self-care mm -hmm. because I have been at a point a few times in my life where I realized if I didn't step back, mm -hmm. take a breather, and take care of myself, everything was going to come crashing mm -hmm. down. Too mm -hmm. many people need us. Mm -hmm. And particularly as women, we, you know, we... We can do it all, we, but, but you know, we have to take a little break and yes. in doing it all we have to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So one of the strategies that really helped me, even when I got up to Los Altos, because I didn't know anyone there at all, and I, I got, they have, um, maybe you have it here as well, it's called meetups. Mm -hmm. So I was able to get online mm -hmm. and I thought, I'm going to try to join some groups. I joined a hiking group Right. for basically seniors, you know, okay. mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, I'm going to be the oldest one there. I was, you know what, like in my late 50s at the time, and I got there, and there was people in their 60s and <laughs> 70s that actually could hike. I mean, they'd been hiking all their lives, yeah. and I was still pretty new to this yes. whole pursuit, and so every Thursday, and I couldn't go on the longer hikes where I wouldn't have cell coverage because I needed to be able to get a call mm -hmm. if, if the call came, mm -hmm. but the ones where I was had cell coverage, mm -hmm. but that wonderful group of people in Los Altos. They, of course, as we would hike along, asked, you know, why are you here? What are you doing? Yeah. So one by one, they kind of heard my story. Yeah. And oh my goodness, when Charlie got her call, they were, they again, were all there around. to support yeah. us. Yeah. So to have that, and I've continued doing that. And yeah. In fact, Charlie and I are hiking partners now. And if, I'm yes, not, if I'm not hiking with Rick, yeah. I'm hiking with Charlie. Yes. And, yes. and so, uh, you know, I've taken up a few things. Reading is another one of my escapes, mm. bubble baths, mm. you know. You meditate. I meditate. Is that a daily practice? It's a daily yeah. practice. Mm. And how it was, long for then, sorry? Oh, okay. I've been doing that for only daily. I mean, I've always, mm. you know, when I would go to Son of Eve, mm. I would feel so good. And yeah. when I'd get home, I'd think, now why? And I thought, and, you know, eventually I went, probably because I start every morning meditating there. And you center and ground and clear and hear your own heartbeat or feel your own heartbeat, you know feel your breathing and you're just so alive and so anyway I I just my mind I as you can probably tell already by this because I'm off on different tangents every minute you know it's just it's very hard for me to focus mm. but I've given myself permission to do that and as I've studied meditation more I listen to podcasts about meditation I've read books about meditation I've got a couple different apps I said I'm currently using this app called calm That's which right. does you know they do like 
10 to 15 minute daily meditations, mm-hmm. but then they do longer body scans and they have one of the things I love, Kate, is they have sleep stories. So if I'm having trouble because, you know, the hamster in the cage yes. at night and doesn't slow down, then I will, I'll, I'll put my earbud in and put on a sleep story. And there's these, most of them either have an Australian or British accent, yeah. by the way, they're so soothing. And they tell these wonderful stories. And I can't tell you the end of them because I have no sleep. <laughs> so the sleep yeah. stories I love. Mm. But I mm. find myself that having a guided meditation helps mm. me stay more centered yeah. and focused. Yes. So yes, that's mm. a practice. I, I think mm. scientifically even we're finding out that there's mm. far more benefits than yeah. where, where, you know, when we were growing up and there was like these yogis that... that Sort yes. of like, woo, woo, yeah, 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 yeah. And now I'm realizing that this seems to be the most productive, successful. I mean, the, mm. these are people that meditate. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah, they so it's a practice that I use too. Mm. And then I just love. I I do think another thing. I'll give my husband a little shout out here. Mm. <laughs> I love getting a foot massage, and he knows oh, there's lovely. nothing under yeah. it. So in fact, the other day he he said, "You've got a two-hour foot massage coming after oh, after the day on Saturday where I've been speaking and everything." Yeah. I said, "Oh, I wish you were here." And he goes, "When mm. you get home." So we have our evenings together. I mean, mm. our children are all raised now. We have. You know, we have five beautiful children. He had one daughter, uh, and they're all married. We have 16 darling grandchildren from age one to my oldest granddaughter will soon be turning 18. So one to 18, 16 grandchildren. And did I say 16? Yeah, 16. 16. Five children, 16 grandchildren. But they're all gone. They're all, you know, building their own lives. And so Rick and I in the evening... You know, we'll put some music on, and he'll give me a foot rub, or we'll go for a walk. We also, you know, about my Revy. We yes, have a, a lovely puppy. Yeah. <laughs> I call her a puppy, but she's 90 yeah, pounds. She's four years old. She's like this in white English lab that loves me so much, mm. and we take her for walks, and mm. I don't know. I, I, You know, when I was younger, dealing with all this... I, I just I thought by the time you were 65, almost 66 as mm. I am now, I thought you don't look anything like well, to see now. I just thought <laughs> you know I'm that mm. oh that's going to be so hard. It is so wonderful. Mm. I mean I just mm. I love this time of life, and I think a lot of it mm. is I've kept myself pretty healthy. Yeah, yeah. I mean there's been some ups and downs, and yeah, I've broken a few yeah. bones, and I had a little skin cancer removed, and you know the, the stuff yeah. that we deal with yeah. with aging. Yeah. But overall, I feel. In fact, we both bought we we bought matching kayaks this year, oh, did you? Oh, and we have a little a new hobby. <laughs> yeah, hobby kayak. That's exactly <laughs> what I've got. In fact, I said I'll get one, but I want one of the hobby, um, the ones with the feet oh, yes. <laughs> do because I don't want to. Just, <laughs> so yeah, so we've got those, oh, and we have a little cottage up on Lake Tahoe, mm. which is mm. a beautiful area. We have a home in San Diego, so we sneak up there and hike mm. and kayak and. So taking enough time out. Yes, yes, yes. And I did. We're sort of getting to the end now, but. I, I know that you, you hiked also to base camp. Um, of Mount Everest, Everest Mount yes. Everest, which must have been huge. That was, like the <laughs> that was after you'd started hiking a bit, was it? Well, that's <laughs> what got me hiking, because mm, right. the, the mm. quick story about that is I got an email from this gentleman who is a you know professional hiker. He's mm. hiked the seven peaks in the world. He's right. summited Mount Everest. Mm. And uh, he, he wanted me to send an email out to my email group. He knew I had a lot of followers. Mm. And he said, I'm looking for about 30 people to go to base camp Mount mm. Everest. And mm. it's going to be, you know, it'll be very challenging, but it will mm. be a spiritual journey. And he went on to just explain the beauty of it and everything. And I sat there reading it. And I was going, 
wow, I, I wasn't a hiker at that point. Mm. This was in uh, 2009. Right, right. And I, you know, I, I, I'd go for walks again, but I'd never yeah. hiked, you know. And I sat there and I just, and Rick came by my office door and he goes, what? and I was, I was leaning back kind of looking up and he said, what are you thinking? I said, honey, I'm thinking I might hike to, to the base camp of Mount Everest. And he, and my husband's way more fit than I am. Right. And very, you know, as I said, he's a professional skydiver and all this stuff, you know. And, you know, my big thing was like pretty much reading. <laughs> so anyway, he said, he went, oh, honey, there is absolutely no way. Right. And I looked at him and I said, well, you're not invited to join me. (laughs) And so this is right before New Year's of of 2010. We were reminiscing about this this past New New Year's because my son always, he kind of hosts this big no puking on the trail on New Year's Day hike, you know, after New Year's Eve. And so I go with him. So that was the first time I'd gone with him. And I, I, it was so hard for me to get to the top of this little peak. And then they went on around this reservoir. And I sat there mm. meditating. I'd started meditating by then. When my sons came back around, and this was also my son-in-law, Ryan. So it was Dax, my oldest, Zachary, my second, and my son-in-law. And I said, how would you guys like to go to Mount Everest with me? They, of course, they thought I was joking. And yeah. I said, no, I'm, I'm really Dead not joking. Serious. I'm really not joking. Werner mm. Burger's taking group. And it took them a while, but all three of them said yes. Mm-hmm. And we went in May of 2010. So, so from January to May, I hiked almost every day. We, mm-hmm. There's not a lot of high peaks in California. And my husband just, he really, I don't think he believed I would okay. really do it. Yeah. But I did it, yeah. and it was yeah. so hard. <laughs> so hard. But, you know, we'd go up and down, and we took, you know, we took, I don't, you know, 10 days or something mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. But for me, um, it, you know, it was hard. In fact, the, the lack of oxygen. And so what I did, Kate, to, to allow myself to do it is I did it for cystic fibrosis. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. there is, you know, I knew that, uh, you know, at that point, Charlie had less than 50% lung yeah, function. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when you get to 18,000 feet, now I don't know that in meters, but, you know, it's mm-hmm. way, way up there. Yeah. In fact, my husband said, Colette, you have hiked higher than I've ever jumped out of a plane. You've been higher than I've ever jumped. So, I mean, that's how high it is. Honestly, Kate, when I got, there's all these, there's like 14 peaks around, there's not just Everest, there's Mm -hmm. Annapurna, and I can't remember the names of all of them, but you would stand there and look up, and it was like, normally, like I've been in the Sierras, Mm -hmm. you know, they're beautiful, but it's twice as high as those. You know, I've hiked Mount Whitney, which is the tallest peak in the 48 states, and that's 14,000 something. Yeah. You know, Everest is mm. twice. I mean, it's, you know, so mm. so you're looking up where normally you're looking at the sun, and there are these peaks. It's just absolutely magnificent. But when I got really, when it got really hard to breathe, and I could just take a step at a time, very slowly, to keep my head around it, I would actually say the names of my grandchildren over, mm. and I'd go, you know, Ben, Lauren, yeah. Ethan. Alex, you know, just to keep yeah. my steps coming. Yeah. But I would think, I still have more oxygen than Charlie does. And so when I felt like giving up, I would mm-hmm. think about her, and it would keep me going. And I turned it into actually a fundraiser. I got I, I got my friends and family and everything to, to donate if I made it. So that gave me another yeah. push yeah. to do it. So, yes, I did it. I did it. And, of course, you've done a huge amount of work for the Cystic Fibrosis yes, Foundation. And they've awarded you... Um, uh, you know, I've gotten honor, yeah, quite, you know, a <laughs> quite a few. <laughs> they gave me an award for doing well. the Everest, and then I was uh, honored yes. once a year with the Breath of Life Award. Yes. And mm-hmm. I have early on in my USANA career, 
I I just you know because I was you know we haven't talked too much about it but I, mm -hmm. I was I really thought I was gonna have to take out bankruptcy and everything else I never mm -hmm. did it took me years to actually pay all the medical bills off and all mm -hmm. of that but one of the things that drove me is I wanted to become a, a major contributor to the CF Foundation. And in fact, I used to say I'm going to become the top contributor because that's where. And, you know, I still, you know, in all my years in USANA and all this success I've had, uh, I had a car when I got involved in USANA. And then I got, I got one car a couple years in that was probably about 97. And then in 2006, I bought another car, and I'm still driving that car. So people yeah. see my lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we did get, just get a little cottage up on Lake Tahoe, but I don't, I don't yeah, have don't the trappings. Have yeah, no, not at all. Like, you know, I wear a wedding band. Yeah. That's about it, you know. <laughs> and yes. because I had a why that was way bigger than mm -hmm. any of the things, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that had to do with what I'd personally gone through, mm -hmm. and maybe mm -hmm. my age and the maturity, you realize mm -hmm. the toys... I mean, I've always said I'd rather do things than have things, yeah, yeah. and we have created memories, you Absolutely. know, around the world. So I wanted to be the top, yeah. top contributor, and then, then Bill Gates gave twenty-five million, and I went, okay, I just, right. I just want to be a big, <laughs> which was wonderful. Yes, Wasn't that Bill yes. and Melanie? I was so thrilled that year, and yeah. and there have been a number of very, very wealthy people now yeah. who have helped yeah. tremendously. Yeah. But I, I do, yeah. I do my you part. Do a lot. I remember reading because I think Charlie Boke made a speech for yes. you, and I, if I, I mean, I think I'm right in saying that she. One of the things she said was that you had an amazing ability to always find the blessings um, in in challenges, and and that actually, in some ways, CF is a. In fact, Charlie said CF was a gift, didn't she? She uh, has. And um, my friend Jennifer, who I interviewed, yes. before, she actually wrote a little ebook called The Gift um, because she's found the same. So it is. It's, you know, people could look in from the outside and say, "Gosh, how awful!" Oh. But 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 you know, people who are going through it, and, and like yourself as well, it, as a as a mother, finding the positives must be so hard. But you do it, and you've done it. Well, it it thing. there it is a gift. I mm. can understand why Charlie and Jennifer, and I've heard mm. other people mm. with CF say this because it changes your perspective mm. completely. You understand what's important. Mm. You're more willing to let the little stuff yeah, go. Yeah. And you hold on to people that you love, mm. and you, and you like. I'm, you know, I'm 65. I'll be 66 in July. I am thrilled to say that. You know how some women they just don't like you to know. Mm. I'm another year older. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, yeah. I'm yeah. alive. Yeah. And Charlie's the same way. She'll turn mm. 39. She's like going to have a big, th you know, mm. because when when she was when the doctor when I went back to talk to the same doctor that finally that told me that she had CF, he said, and you know she was only you know she was a year old then. Uh, not even, yeah, just barely a year. And he said, you know, they're making major advances. I mean, Charlie could live to be 10 years old. This is what his good yeah, news was for me. Prediction. And I was like, what? Yeah. What? And you know, now here she is, turning 39, married to Ryan, who, by the way, her husband is one of my very best friends. In fact, he, she, 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 she would tease us in, in Los Altos that she was always the third wheel, you know, because like, Ryan and I, would just we just enjoy each other so much. He's, he's I love him mm. as much as if I'd given birth to him mm. myself. He is, mm. and I, I've been very fortunate. My children have married the most remarkable people. I adore my, my other sons and daughters. Mm. But, um, yes, I, I know I've lost my train of thought. As I said, I get on these tangents. But it, it has been a gift in yeah. many, many ways because mm -hmm. you hold on to people you love. You, you're not afraid to say how old you are, and you're never, never afraid to say, I love you to mm. the moon and back. Mm. 
you know, my grandchildren, I always say, I no, no one loves you more than I do. And they go, Mom and Dad. I go, maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> Grandma Coco oh, loves you. And just finally, that for people who might perhaps be going through challenges, whatever they are, do you have any particular, and particularly women, I guess, do you have any particular tips or thoughts for, to help them get through? And you've shared a lot, actually, already. About oh, you, you know, know, I guess, like you said, some days it's just literally... You know, I remember after Lexi passed away, I, I did go through... I had a couple weeks there where I... Honestly, it was really hard to get out of bed. I'm not sure I would have. In fact, some days I didn't. I remember, and I started my USANA business, yeah. you know, and I had this, these teams that were growing, and one day my brother, who had brought me into the company, called me, and it was in the afternoon. Yeah. I guess I answered very groggily, and he goes, it's 2 o'clock, are you, are you still in bed? Yeah. And I went, yes. Yeah. And he said, Colette, you get up. Yeah. You get dressed. You know, he said... We need you, but maybe even more, you need us. So sometimes just getting out there, in my first few meetings I did, USANA presentations, after Lexi passed, I, I remember doing one in the home of this woman named Patty Abraham, and I started talking about my story, and I just started crying. I couldn't quit crying. I had to go to the bathroom. She had to take over for me. I said, I'm sorry. I just literally could not get my composure. So people were, you know, understanding and... I don't, I don't cry, I don't break down any, like I used to, but every once in a while, like this past weekend, there was a couple moments <laughs> yes, where I went, wow, yes. kind of brings it all up again. Mm, mm. But you know, people need to hear our stories. Mm, mm. And if you're going through tough stuff, you know, I kept a journal. I look back, I write, I, I look back on my journal now, and I just, it just kind of kept me sane, you know, and just, I would write through things and, and surround yourself with people who will love you and lift you and hold you and, and eventually, you know, they're going to come to you and say, you know, you gave me hope. You gave me hope. You got through it. You gave me hope. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's my message now. It's why I keep doing what I'm doing because yeah. I thought I'd be retired long before now. And I could be. I could be. But I've had just, Kate, this weekend, I had so many single mothers come up to me. And I can always tell as they're approaching me because mm -hmm. they start tearing up, you know. Mm -hmm. And they'll go, oh, I'm a single mother. I can, I can put my arms around mm -hmm. them and go, sweetheart, you're going to be just fine. Mm -hmm. You're stronger than you know. Mm -hmm. You know, the best way to create your future, the best way to predict your future is to create it yourself. Yeah. You create it. You know, you create mm -hmm. your future. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, just keep going. Some days it's just literally. And having said that, there's days when you do just need to stay in bed. Of course. I, I, I will say to my children, you know, if I'm having, I'll go, I'm having a bad hair day, just leave me alone, I'll be there tomorrow, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Because there are days when you just need to take a break. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Thank you, Colette, so much. My it's pleasure. been such an honor, really such a privilege. Oh, and, thank uh, you. And I know so many people will find this both inspiring, but also, you know, helpful as well. And um, you are our USANA mum. <laughs> USANA <Yusana> mama. Mama. <laughs> USANA mama. That's my, my license plate. But I had so many kids this weekend call me USANA grandma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Okay. I guess I'll take that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank okay. you. And if people did want to track you down, find out, you know, how can they do that? What's the best way for them to... Um, do you know what? I am actually not on... I'm taking a little bit of a sabbatical mm. from Facebook yeah. because... 
because all the politics in the U.S. are driving me crazy right now. <laughs> I'll get back on eventually. I am on Instagram. That's that's kind of what okay. I'm using. Okay. So Colette Larson, C-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-L-A-R-S-E-N, and they can actually comment if they need to get hold of me, and I'll Wonderful. and I can and they can give give me an email address, yeah. and I'll get back to them. Thank that you would be very great. much indeed. I'm you so bet. grateful. Thank you. Colette. Thank you. My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's Remarkableness podcast with Colette. Please share it with others you think may benefit from hearing it too. I believe there are truly some amazing lessons to learn from Colette's remarkable story. I'll see you next time.